The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to us on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. You can listen to us every Wednesday from 10 to 11 live, and we archive the show at the end of the day. Joining me this morning is Noel Biederman, founder and CEO of AshleyMadison.com, the world's largest online affairs service. Also joining me is David Gebler, founder and president of the Scout Group that helps companies evaluate the cost-effectiveness and scandal potential of their corporate cultures. Noel Biederman, founder and CEO of AshleyMadison.com, welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning. Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, we're going to be talking about interracial sexuality amongst adulter- adulterers. Uh, but before we do this, uh, tell us about exactly what is AshleyMadison.com, the world's largest online affair service. What is it all about, Noel? Well, I think you have to go back to, uh, you know, 2001 where uh, Internet dating really came came to life. The, the stigma that was associated with the predecessor, which was a newspaper classified ad, had, had evaporated and people were going online to find true love. They were expanding what they could reach into beyond their own social network and, and the people they knew. And, and one of the challenges I think that online dating was facing at that time was that so many of the people out there weren't actually looking for those same long-term romances. They were leveraging what the Internet provided, which was a true insight to someone's hearts and desires, and they were posing as something they weren't. And when I came across the data that suggested that 30% of people on a traditional matchmaking service was actually already in a relationship, I decided that these people might benefit from having a community of their own, and that was the genesis of the idea for uh, AshleyMadison.com. Right, now, AshleyMadison.com, I... Actually, I listened to the Howard Stern Show, and you advertise on Howard all the time. So that's how I first got to know about you. But your advertising, I mean, what's really, I guess, specifically different about AshleyMadison.com, you have take married people. Isn't that it? The focus is have married people. They want to have an affair, so you hook up married people with married people. And I guess there's a lot of controversy, obviously, about what you're doing. So... Is it a good thing or is it a bad thing if you're hooking married people up with married people? Does that help save marriages or does that help get, you know, uh, get, help cause divorces amongst married people? Well, I think you have to separate two things, which is an affair undiscovered and an affair that's discovered. Clearly, if your affair is discovered, there's a chance that your relationship at risk. But, you know, somewhere between 80 to 90 percent of affairs never get uncovered. And so my hypothesis, well, I think most people would agree with me. Well, how do you know that if they never me. get uncovered, though? Well, because you've got to look at the volume of divorces that go on in America and the volume of affairs that just my site alone generates, and it can't be other, any other which way. The problem with so much of the research on infidelity to date is it's just lacking. You, you can't study university students, the typical group people gravitate towards when trying to figure out, you know, sexual behavior or whatever. They, they don't know anything about lifelong marriages. They're not participants in it. And so... 
if you went to try and elicit a group of people who were married looking to have affairs, you would fail miserably. You might get 29 respondents, 13 respondents, people who had affairs three years ago. At Ashley Madison, we'll sign up 25,000 people just today alone who self-publish their affair-seeking desires, and it's happening at the genesis of affairs. We have way more data sets than any researcher before uh, that's ever published this information. So if anyone has uh, a heartbeat on what's going on in the affair world in America, it's Ashley Madison. So you have, I understand it, 16 million members in 24 countries? That's right. Uh, well, that's, just, I guess, a lot. So in other words, you're saying that you, uh, well, there's a need for it. So you're out there and you, you kind of, you supply that need. And um, why do you think it's so controversial, though? Why do you think people kind of stand back and say, oh, wow, you're kind of fostering this adulterous kind of stuff, encouraging adultery, and that's not a good thing, that's a bad thing? Is that our, just in America, the puritanical ethic? Uh, because you, I guess you are in 24 countries, so there are different kinds of kind of ethical mores when it's associated with married people having affairs. Yeah, you hit, you hit a couple of nails on the head. You know, I think America seems to have less sensibility around this than some other countries, but I assure you in most countries, um, anybody would be uncomfortable finding out their partner was having an affair. You know, I, I don't think there's anybody that's that open to it. If they're open to it, they would be in an open marriages, and affairs are things you do without your partner's consent. I, I think that what you have to understand is, you know, you, you can't convince anyone to have an affair. It doesn't work that way. Um, you know, we, we could sit there and beg your listeners for the next half hour to have an affair. If they're happy in a relationship, they're not going to do that. They're not going to risk their relationship uh, for that endeavor. But we've created this narrative within our society, and despite the fact that our sitting presidents, our favorite athletes, the entertainers we love, uh, all seem to engage in it, we're always uh, shocked. And we're shocked because we don't really understand the topic. We don't really seem to acknowledge uh, how our DNA is constructed and what truly lies at our core. And so we've created this construct around monogamy. We've centralized it in our relationships. And it turns out we're really poor at executing on it. And so that's the equivalent of kind of, you know, burying your head pretty deep in the sand. Um, more, do more men try to hook up? Or, I mean, at least, or is it women? I mean, men are, you know, it's always been traditionally when you get some of these statistics that more, of course, men are having affairs with, well, maybe with other men too, but with with uh, with women, but that men tend to be the ones maybe who have affairs more often than women. When uh, in, is that true, or is it not, or have things changed or evolved over the past, let's say, ten years? No, it's a great question, and I will tell you uncategorically that it's always a woman who asks me that question. So, <laughs> so it's, it's surprise, interesting to say surprise. that. Yeah. Despite the fact of calling it Ashley Mass and focusing in on women, the branding, the marketing, all kinds of things, in every country I have launched, in every single one, we have seen more men than use the service than women. Now, that said, I think our bet was that the Internet was going to be a, a leveling of the playing field to some degree, and we have definitely seen that over the last decade, married men seeking out single men the way that married uh, men had constantly been seeking out single women, the evolution, the, uh, the, the volume, the, the age migration. But listen... I have 20,000, 30,000 men over the age of 65 using Ashley Madison. I have no women in that same generational gap. You know, the Viagra generation is there from a male perspective. So, again, biology comes into play. But I, I, I do believe if you want to study and understand infidelity, men are not having affairs by themselves. There is a partner on the other side of that equation. So let's say I'm sitting here, I'm a woman, I decide, okay, I want to have an affair, I've been married for 20 years, I just want to, you know, try something different, I love my husband, I want to stay with him, I go to AshleyMadison.com, what happens? Well, you know, for the most part, you're going to build a profile and, and you're going to do it more honestly than, you know, 99% of the other websites out there because if you're going to take that risk, 
you want to be successful. And this is the one place where you can describe your true age, your weight, your lack of sexual encounters in the last, you know, decade. Whatever it ends up being, the more honest you are, the more you're going to find somebody who's, if not sympathetic and or empathetic to the situation, at least understanding enough of it and is interested in meeting you. So you'll build the profile in a traditional way, but there's u- unique uh, occurrences. We never ask you your name, right? Uh, we, we, we kind of sit there and create a discretionary element that when you're finished with the service, you cannot just delete your profile, but take back any messages you sent. And so if you join Ashley Madison, within, you know, 48 hours, you'll have a half dozen people interested in meeting with you. You can chat with them real time. You can have a fantasy date with them at a virtual coffee shop, a virtual restaurant, if you're feeling up to it, a virtual hotel room. And ultimately, if they're someone of interest, you will go and you will probably meet with them face-to-face, and then the decision is yours. So let's say I'm living not in New York City or Boston or any of the big cities, but I'm in uh, Columbus, Ohio. So it's, yeah, I get all my potential uh, partners or people that I'm going to have an affair with who are in the Columbus, Ohio surrounding area. Is that it? And then I go and meet them and... Well, no, listen, there, there's two key components. So many people recognize the 50-mile rule, right? People tend to have affairs on business trips when they're 50 miles away from their loved ones. It's almost easier. And that's why you see, I think, so many politicians, so many athletes, entertainers. Part of the reason is the environment they live in, you know, the remoteness from their family. It's hard to be away from your family, especially if you have a high-stress career. So that's also what you know, facilitates a lot of uh, infidelity and unfaithfulness and and that kind of behavior. So we have this traveling woman product, traveling man product. So many people utilize when they're going away, they line up, believe it or not, some potential encounters or at least meetings when they're going to be in, you know, Portland. And those are the people to meet with. And then there's also the people who, yes, they they don't travel, they're in a city and they want to meet somebody locally. And so it's, it's really both. We, 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 we can help you with whatever kind of affair you're seeking, including keeping it discreet. What if you ha- or have you ever had this happen, Noah, where the, your, you hook up with your own husband? <laughs> or- yeah, you have, to, you have to cue the pina colada. I don't know if you remember, there was a famous song called Escape back in the 70s that talked about that exact occurrence, uh, a guy taking out a personal ad in the newspaper, and it turns out when he got there, he met his own wife at a bar called O'Malley's. And listen, when you have 16 million members, it's probably bound to happen eventually because if you're discontent in your marriage, there's a good chance your partner is feeling some level of discontentment too. But I'm not aware of it, but when they do, when it does happen, I'll, I'll make sure to give them some kind of prize. Does it always have you use the word discontent? And this is kind of getting back to the cultural differences because maybe it's not discontent. Perhaps it's adding something to your relationship just because you've been in the marriage so long and you've been sleeping with the same person for 20 years and you want some variety, which I think in, maybe in European cultures and maybe other cultures, this is kind of part of the culture. You know, you see presidents, heads of state, they're with their wives and with their mistresses, and when they die, they're all there at the funeral, which doesn't happen in the United States because we kind of say one thing and we do something else. And it kind of sounds like Ashley Madison sort of, I guess, is kind of um, servicing what we really, how we really feel and what we really want to do. No, I I think you're right. I think that, you know, there there is no one way to describe unfair. Some people pursue it because they're in sexist marriages. Some people love their partner deeply, but you know, uh, genuinely wake up and, and actually crave a same-sex relationship. Their partner can't become a different gender, right? It's something their partner couldn't even do or someone of a different ethnic background. There are so many iterations to it. It would be naive to assume that every single affair plays out itself. I do think what you're also describing, though, is a sensibility. We, we Think about this dichotomy. If we stopped 
a uh, hundred people on the streets or a couple of hundred of your listeners, 99 of 100 say cheating's wrong, it's bad, but yet the majority of them, the majority of them will end up doing it at one point or another in their lives. So what, where else can you find that economy? We don't feel that way about stealing or this. It's, it's, it just doesn't happen that way. So we're conflicted. We're very conflicted when it comes to this topic, and it's partly because we're not well-informed, but it's also because we've set ourselves up to fail. I, I just don't think we're engineered for notions of monogamy. Yeah, well, it's a biological imperative. I've always felt this way about men, and maybe it's also women. I don't know because society is changing. But I, you know, the the biological imperative for men is to uh, sleep with as many women as possible and to kind of propagate the species, hopefully his own. <laughs> but um, how much does it cost to, uh, to be a member of AshleyMadison.com? So it's free to join to build your profile, and where the costs come in are on the communication side. So if you want to talk with other members. You purchase our, our credit, so we call it pay as you play, right? And so if you, for $49, bought uh, 100 of these credits, that would allow you to communicate with 20 different members. And really importantly, once you open a line of communication on Ashley Madison, it's free thereafter, right? We don't want you leaving behind digital lipstick in the form of a text message, a voice message, an email you left behind. So once you open a communication on Ashley Madison, it's free thereafter. There's no need to take it to a personal account, and that's what gets so many people discovered in an affair these days. Right, now let's get specific because I know we want to talk about this today. So I think we have a pretty good idea of what AshleyMadison.com is. But now you've, and I guess you've evaluated this whole thing about interracial relationships. Is this a whole new phenomenon? Well, yeah. Like in general, I think you have to understand that um, it's not just um, artists and physicians, teachers, politicians. There's all kinds of people who end up impacting a society and hopefully help it move forward. We're always, we're never resting. We're trying to improve who and how we approach things. And so entrepreneurs have that responsibility too. And what I came to realize, you know, uh, a few years ago was that I was actually sitting on a treasure trove of information that was hard to pry and get access to. You know, there just isn't any funding for sexual research. And if and when they do fund it, they, they tend to look at the wrong groups. And so I started in conjunction with other institutions or publications giving them access to data. And one of the things that we saw really interesting in the 2010 census that was kind of published recently was the the movement in American relationships, whether it's older women with younger men or the number of interracial long-term relationships and marriages that were taking place. So we hypothesized, wow, if that's happening, what do you think is happening in the affair, affair realm? And it turns out that while, you know, the, the growth rate in, let's say, interracial marriages is now somewhere at 17% in America, the adoption of that behavior pattern in the more casual realms of dating and affairs is almost double that. Almost 38% of the affairs we see on Ashley Madison in America are interracial driven. And we thought that was really interesting data to share. And not just that, when we look more deeply at certain cities, Atlanta, Philadelphia, Denver, Portland, we saw even more, more than half of those relationships that were forming on Ashley Madison were of an interracial variety. We thought that was really interesting to share. Yeah, and you've got, well, you've got 10 of them, I guess, and, and the number one is, is Atlanta, which is the number, what, 71.9% you've got has interracial yeah, dating? Yeah, so the, the vast majority of the relationships that form on Ashley Madison in Atlanta are not between people of the same racial background. So what does that say about us? We want to just try, I guess, well, you say we, we just want to, are we always hungry for a taste of the unknown? I guess well, I'm I think quoting you. I think you, I think, 
Yeah, I think you were touching on it before, which is yeah. a lot of what's being driven is uh, strange. Let's call it appetite, uh, differentiation. And what we see is that while we're even evolving our notions, our sitting president is from a, a, um, an interracial relationship, you know, and we have greater adoption to it in relationships of permanence, that relationship of permanence is still lagging way behind how we approach it in casual relationships. And so we still have a lot of room to grow, I guess, as part of our uh, conclusion. Yeah, how much stigma is attached to interracial relationships or interracial partnerships, marriages? Well, I think less and less, right? I think the point yes. is that where it used to be 2 or 3%, and in fact, four years ago, it was actually illegal in this country. Like it's, it's actually you know, an incredibly fast trend if you look at it from that perspective. Yeah, in the 60s, wasn't it illegal for black and white yeah, couples to marry? Yeah, you had to go to the Supreme Court. Yeah, you had to go to the Supreme Court to fight to, to break down that law. And so fast forward less than 50 years later to find out that a huge segment of the population is not only married in, in that kind of uh, type of relationship, but if you actually include how many people then have encounters of that nature, again, you're talking about half the population. Were you surprised at any of these cities? I mean, I'm not when I look at them, Atlanta, Philadelphia, Houston, New York. I mean, these are all, most of them are all the big cities. Well, Portland, Oregon, that's an interesting one, and Denver, Colorado. Um, I thought Seattle, Seattle was a bit interesting to me, and what was interesting was to see, uh, we did a deeper dive on Asian behavior, and, and of all the female segments we looked at, African American, Spanish, Caucasian, a- Asian, uh, women are least interested in people of their own race. That was interesting to us, and uh, I wonder if that plays out also in online dating in general, but that's what happens in the affair world. It seems to me that a big driver for why Asian women have affairs is they're looking for somebody from a, from a totally different race. In fact, the majority of the time, that's what they're seeking. Hybrid vigor. Isn't that what they call that in, in farming and in agriculture? Like... Yeah, no, there's something to say to it. I mean, I, I don't, this is w- very anecdotal, but, you know, I, I see a lot of beauty in people from different backgrounds, the, the uniqueness, the whole thing. I think it's probably how we were meant to be is to, is to get past skin, skin color. And again, I'm sure a lot of biologists and, and, uh, and others would, would, would say that, you know, we should never be measuring people on skin. There's a lot more relevant sequencing, whether it's blood types or whatever. And, and so this has always been one of those bad aesthetics that we cling to, just like the narrative that somehow we're supposed to be monogamous in our lives, despite the fact that, you know, men want to spread their seed and women too would benefit from having, you know, different uh, parents to their children, given that there's a chance you can pass on hereditary flaws and then all your children would have those hereditary flaws. Yeah, that's a good point. No, uh, what about you personally? I mean, you talked about the, the, the history of AshleyMadison.com, but how did you personally get into this? You know, what's your background? You know, my mother wants to blame it on the fact that I was a sports attorney, that I, <laughs> that I used to work with professional athletes and was constantly uh, dealing with these domestic issues, you know, things like phone calls in the middle of the night complaining that, you know, his wife coming to visit him over while he was in Italy was a problem because his Italian wife wouldn't like it. And, you know, my view of the world is that foundation probably needed to be there in order for me to think of this idea. But ultimately, I'm an entrepreneur. And when I saw online dating becoming, if not the largest and most profitable vertical on the web, um, but one that was suffering from a potential fatal flaw, I knew the appetite would be there. Could I have imagined that, you know, a decade later, 16 million members later, hundreds of millions of dollars later? No, but it just it says more about who we are as a species than me as a businessman. Right, you as a businessman, but how about you personally? Are you married? I am happily married, correct. <laughs> and would you avail yourself of your own service, or would your wife, or if she did, would that upset you? Or how, you know, well, you know, just from well, a, 
Yeah. Two separate questions. You know, I, I think I would use my service long before I would get a divorce. If my own father came to me, my brother who's happily married or a best friend and said, hey, I can't take it anymore. You know, I'm either going to take on a lever or I'm going to leave. I would advocate for an affair long before uh, a divorce. I, I think divorce does come with a whole bunch of unforeseen consequences that we're still only digesting to date. And the truth of the matter is that uh, an affair can be a marriage preservation device for a lot of people. It can get them through the next day. And as for the fact if my wife had an affair, I'm certain of this. I would be devastated. What I'm also certain of, I would never blame an inanimate object. I wouldn't blame the hotel room she had the affair in or the iPhone she called her lover on. I doubt I'd even blame her lover. This would be between her and I. You know, we, we had some kind of poor communication, breakdown of understanding, whatever it was. This would be uh, human fallibility and not an inanimate object. So what's an, Okay, so what is next? for AshleyMadison.com. I mean, where do you see the company going? Well, listen, the behavior pattern we address is totally global in nature, right? There's never been a society that you can point to where this hasn't been documented. In fact, there are places on the planet right now where if a woman has an affair, they will literally kill them. They will behead them, and they still have affairs. It's that much of a biological drive. So there's not a single society we couldn't expand to. Now, would I expand into those regions? Of course not. I wouldn't want to be associated with anything like that. But in places where people are free to choose who they want to be and uh, sexual, pursue their sexual relationships they want, there's no reason to believe that Ashley Madison couldn't or, sh- or wouldn't succeed in all of those markets. So really, I think when it comes to Ashley Madison, unlike traditional dating, which does actually evolve very differently in parts of Asia or in Africa or different places than it does in North America, I think we can become the most global dating company ever created. But, Noah, what if you just mentioned a couple cultures, like in different countries, but what if some of those people who, I mean, it is taboo for women to have affairs and they do get their heads chopped off or they get murdered or killed by their uh, fathers or brothers, and, and that could happen in the United States as well. I mean, they can... They, well, they, not without breaking the law. I'm talking yeah. about that. The law of the land is we stopped painting people with scarlet letters long ago, and we have come to understand that people have affairs, our sitting presidents do it. I'm talking about going to a country where it actually says this is prohibited, that you're someone's property. If you do this, you know, death will follow. I just wouldn't want to be involved in that um, notion. Now, if somebody has an affair and something bad happens, that's no different than saying, well, we should stop serving alcohol. But that's just the unfortunate consequences of life. And that is unforeseeable and therefore, you know, not the way you can approach any business. There are people who, you know, uh, step in front of someone's line in Starbucks and someone turns around and does something violent to them. It has nothing to do with Starbucks. All right. So then, okay, so you, you're very obviously very conscious of what the cultural mores and laws, the legalities of it in, in different countries. So who takes advantage more of AshleyMadison.com here in the United States, Western Europe? I'm curious as to what countries that you're in that you get the most member, or the most membership. Yeah, well, we've been operating the longest in the States. The most unique country, though, that we have launched in has been Australia. You know, there is a country where, you know, female prime ministers, the richest woman in the world is a, is a, lives in Australia. You know, from my experience there, journalists, uh, physicians, uh, the schools, their, their, their higher education is 56% popular women, really strong pay equality. And yet right in the city, right in the middle of their uh, crown city in Sydney is this huge brothel and it's kind of like the strange dichotomy that goes on there. And when we launched there, that was the first city and first country where we saw almost an even ratio, at least when we looked at people in their 30s and, and 40s of male to female usage in, 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 on the service. And I think that for whatever goes on in Australia, 
Um, you know, I think that's actually going to be the future of where Ashley Madison, what it looks like in, in America, in the UK, in the US, in Spain. And I think what we're also seeing is an evolution. You know, the world is getting smaller and smaller, both through the Internet connectivity and the travel we undertake. And so we see tons of Americans who are reaching out to find lovers in Spain and in France, to find lovers in Brazil and all these other countries where we launched. And, and that's interesting as well. It, well, but it's interesting you say Australia because when I was in Australia, it seemed to me like Australia is a very white country. It's, it doesn't seem like there's too much diversity there. And you talk about interracial dating or partnering, whatever. But it seems like you know most of the people uh, were all white. Well, I think I think that there's a, a growing Asian population. I think there's a growing Indian population. Yes, that service and that site there is probably much more predominantly Caucasian than, you know, say the American version of the service or in some other countries. But I don't think that what I was um, hypothesizing around the data around interracial affairs means that there isn't a growth rate in affairs in other places. It was just interesting for us to see that while America has turned a corner in both acceptance and actual creation of these interracial relationships, they've, they've accelerated that, if you will, when it comes to the realm of the more casual, the affair. An affair seeker is much, much less concerned about color than someone who's looking for a relationship of permanence. I think that's interesting. So do you think, Noel, that maybe AshleyMadison.com may be responsible for international peace? Because, you know, when you get to know people and you have, you're intimate with people of a different color, of a different race, different religion, whatever it is, that you tend to be much more accepting. You know, you're afraid of what you don't know. Listen, I don't believe my Nobel Prize is coming anytime <laughs> soon. I'm not that naive, but I will say this, you know, in the research that I've seen in societies where monogamy is not king, where relationships are much more open, where women in those cultures believe that they need to be with many men to get all the strength of those different talents to, to formulate a great offspring, uh, they seem to be much less violent. And uh, let's not forget where kind of the, the current form of marriage came from. It came from a notion of, hey, we have possessions, we need to pass those down through inheritance laws, let's make rules, let's set those up. But, you know, no one from the scientific community can point to the fact that monogamy works any better than polygamy or open marriages. If anything, the data seems to indicate that the less monogamous we are, those couples in America who are in open marriages get divorced way less frequently than those of us in monogamous marriages. And really, I'm assuming they would have the exact same troubles and challenges with raising kids and um, you know, paying bills, et cetera, and yet they've removed one stressor and they seem to, uh, therefore become more successful. Yeah, well, I think was monogamy specifically in the 20th, 20th century was based on the fact that on financial, that, you know, you had one male who had to take care of, was responsible for a whole family, so how many people could he be responsible for, uh, responsibly, right? I mean, it was like you, so you, you had to remain monogamous and support your wife and one two point five kids or whatever it was. And uh, yeah, and, and even today, the more financially independent a woman is, that is the biggest single factor you can look to on her likelihood to have an affair. Right. Well, it's been great talking to you. Really interesting. AshleyMadison.com founder and CEO Noel Biederman. Thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great talking to you. Uh, coming up next is David Gebler. He's uh, an author. He's also an attorney who helps companies evaluate the cost-effectiveness and scandal potential of their corporate cultures. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Don't go away. We'll be back in a minute. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. 
Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Joining me is David Gebler. He is an author, an attorney who helps companies evaluate the cost, effectiveness, and scandal potential of their corporate cultures. His new book is The Three Power Values, How Commitment, Integrity, and Transparency Clear the Roadblocks to Performance. Welcome to the show, David. Nice to have you on this morning. Thank you very much, Kathleen. It's great to be with you. All right. This is an interesting topic when it comes to business, and I really hadn't thought about it, although in light of the general David Petraeus scandal, I guess this it's, it's your book and what you have to say is very topical. So why is it, my first question is, why is it important to address this issue about corporate, why do we need to, why do we need to, well, why do we need to address this issue? Of, of issues of scandals as relates to people's own personal yeah, like when you have, like, say, what happened, well, David Petraeus, we could go on, there's right. a whole list of them, but, like, you, sure. you evaluate the cost cost effectiveness yep. and scandal potential of a corporate culture. In other words, if a CEO has a, an affair, or if he, then it's going to affect his business, is what you have to say, that you have right. to have certain, yeah. So it's interesting, so it's not necessarily a classic moral issue. I think it impacts the decision that, if, especially for large organizations, whether it's the CIA or for a Fortune 1000 company, um, you as a leader have, um, you're, you're in a role model position. And so your actions go far beyond what you would like to think perhaps could be just private um, decisions and, and issues. So while you may first want to say, well, gee, if this is between consenting adults, it's nobody's business, and perhaps in a different culture, you may be able to make that argument more strongly, but certainly in the American culture, it doesn't, doesn't cut it. Um, we are looking at our leaders as role models, and, the, and it's not just um, a virtue. 
it really impacts the level of trust that that person can engender throughout the whole organization if they don't handle these issues uh, well. So it's both the issue itself and then also how do they handle it. And oftentimes, just like we learned from Watergate, the cover-up is often more uh, detrimental than the crime. So what you're saying is if you are CEO of a company, and that tends to be a man in this culture, right. uh, that you, in order to be successful or to run a business successfully within your organization, you need not to have an affair. That is going to impact how your employees see you and then in turn will impact the business and your business won't do well, or is that too simplistic? Well, I don't Yeah, we've got to work down to actually the corporation um, suffering financially because of it. But it does impact a lot of ways in which the organization can be led. So, so maybe we can break it down to, into, into some pieces. If, if it's usually the man um, who is at the leadership role, if the person he's having relationships with is an employee, um, that adds a whole level of, of, of trouble. Um, tremendous conflicts of interest. It's, if you're the CEO, everybody works for you. And it is very toxic throughout the organization if you have a personal relationship with an employee, even if they're not a direct report. Um, it creates um, a lot of unnecessary tension, especially in difficult times, and it really is a um, tremendous conflict of interest which impairs your ability to lead. But even if it's the... So then the question is, well, what if you're having a out-of-extramarital affair with somebody who has no relationship to the organization? Well, then it comes to um, whether how how you handle it. I don't think there's been enough instances where um, if the relationship is such that there's no conflict of interest for the business, and even if the leader has disclosed the relationship to the board, um, and many times that's not an issue. Um, there's been a few attempts to give a moralistic approach to say, gee, this is not right, it goes against our values. Um, but oftentimes for a CEO, uh, merely having an affair is not sufficient. Usually, though, the ones that get us, ones we hear about that are in the news are instances where it tends to be someone who either works in the organization or there's a financial connection which can impact the business. In other words, if someone is having an affair and it's the, per- the CEO is having an affair with someone outside of the company, uh, what about an affair with another CEO from another company? Uh, well, that, I mean, that could be either male-to-male or male-to-female, although, as sure. you said, there aren't too many female CEOs of companies. But still, yeah. what's the, how, is that something that would impact leadership and how the... I guess the question is, is, is judgment. Um, one of the interesting things is a few years ago, Harry Stonecipher, who was brought in as a replacement CEO at Boeing, because the predecessor had himself engaged in a, um, uh, uh, a sexual relationship with an employee. He was brought on board specifically to be a Boy Scout. Um, the company had been going through several other ethics scandals outside of sexual issues, and they needed someone who was going to just right the ship, be a, basically a control person, let's get this ship setting sails correctly. Well, lo and behold, he got involved in a sexual issue, and again, it was consensual. But because the stakes were so high, the board had virtually zero tolerance for any type of that behavior. So it's a subjective, um, subjective issue. The question is, does this action reflect good judgment? And if it, does, if it doesn't impact the, the perception of what good judgment is, 
then it probably won't be a career-ending move for the individual, nor will it necessarily help hurt the organization. But if just in a reasonable person can sit back and say, what were they doing? Then all of a sudden, that common sense logic of what was this person doing does have an impact. Well, the statistics, I've got two questions here, but the statistics that I read as a therapist, as a social worker, that, I don't know, 60, 70% of most of, of men in America have affairs. So those are the people who are working in the con- uh, company. So they too are having affairs. Um, and it seems that's one thing. Uh, second, secondly, it seems to me that most men in power have affairs. Whether we like it or not or how we feel about it or not is one thing, but the reality is, I mean, you can look at, and I'm sure you've been uh, asked this question, you know, all of our presidents, all this, our founding fathers, uh, our Bill Clinton, how about Jack Welch? I mean, he was like an incredible CEO of General Electric, and, and he had an affair, and it was out in the open, and it was scandalous, et cetera, but still he was this, uh, you know, great leader in terms of running the company. Well, I think the issues are, is, is it, does it create a conflict of interest? I mean, look at David Petraeus. It's interesting that here's a case where he, um, that it was a judgment that really got him into trouble in terms of, uh, was this a smart thing to do in terms of how poorly was he hiding this affair? Um, do we want that from our head of our CIA? But to his credit, which is why I don't think it's going to hurt him politically, he uh, came out, he said, I, I made a mistake, and I accept the responsibility, and I'm going to move on, and I resign. And many people said he shouldn't resign, but he did. And so he had an issue that rose to the level of being something that questioned his judgment, and he handled it in a way that I think will protect his reputation. So do you, think he should have resigned, do you think he should have resigned, um, David, or not resigned? What do you think? Well, I think he probably did the right thing of resigning only because, um, especially this was in the height of the Benghazi issue, um, it was going to be a distraction. And he realized that it was, not, it was going to impact his ability to do his job. And, again, that's my criteria is um, – Will this impact my ability to do my job? And the, the dynamic of that decision is not, you have to look at the outside forces looking in. In other words, it's very subjective, um, and, and, it, and it changes through the course of time. So today, um, Eisenhower's affairs from World War II when he was president that were ignored by the press may not be ignored today. Um, and so there's a dynamic of the times. Look how... Look how, how generous the press was with President Kennedy um, in terms of just accepting that. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong morally, but I'm saying that the, 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 we're in a different era today. We have much less tolerance for, um, for this type of behavior. Again, you're the expert here in terms of whether it's hypocritical or not, but we look at the, the social norms will determine if this is acceptable. But the secondary impact for leaders is what do you do once it's disclosed? And if you act foolish, either by lying or by hiding it, um, then you find that it's, um, uh, it's, uh, uh, it hurts your reputation even that much more. Again, oh, David, do you think that we have less tolerance or that the media plays it up and, and it gets us going and we react and, and it's really the media who kind of has an impact on this kind of behavior or rather than maybe the people? Because I don't know if we're, are we really less tolerant? I mean, we can be discussing General Petraeus one day and who he slept with, and then if another story comes up two weeks later, we forgot about it. 
And most right. people, and, and I, I mean, I, I, my experience is that most people don't really care. Now, I can tell my personal experience. For me, my own feelings about it usually is like if you're running, if I have invested in a, in a company and the company is doing really well and I find out that the CEO has had an affair yet, you know, I get good dividends in the country's, I, I don't really care who he is sleeping right. with. I mean, that's my, or President of the United States. I think that men in power traditionally are in power. They have affairs. Now, maybe the second part of what you said is it's how it's handled you know, that can really make a difference and how it's handled by the press, not so much how people really feel about it. You know what I'm saying? I know exactly what you're saying. And again, I think it goes back to good judgment. So, for example, what are the the affairs that really got the press going that really um, brought people down? You're right. If you're quiet about it, um, it's just something that happens and you are not um, in in your spouse is willing to forgive you, you can try to you often can keep that private. What happens is if you're going to be posting nude pictures of yourself on Twitter, that's weird. <laughs> and that's that questions your judgment. So and Anthony Weiner had no nobility to keep his position after that. If you're a hypocrite, what happened to Elliot Spitzer being the governor of New York and being, you know, uh, the advocate of the laws that he flaunted, then judgment and you're you're out. Whether regardless of the incident, it was the high profile of it. If you are um, again Mark Sanford in South Carolina, you know he handled it so poorly. First of all, he was so high and mighty of being a um, conservative family man, and then the weirdness about his going on this trek to Argentina. So he handled it so poorly. That was the part of the issue. If he merely had an affair and he was contrite, <clears throat> we're very forgiving. And so if you come forward and say, look, I am human, I made a mistake, I'm working through this, and I've learned my lesson, and I am, people will forgive you. So I don't believe it's the actual act that gets people into trouble. It's the, um, the perception that your judgment was poor in how you managed it, I think, really gets on the public's nerves, reflected in the media, and then that would actually cause the board to have to fire you. It's in fact your CEO. Yeah, I think that's a good point, how you handle it. I think, unfortunately, the media puts some of these people in such positions that they, you know, that it's difficult for them. They don't know how to handle it or manage the, when the, um, if the affair comes to, out to the public, um, they don't know how to micromanage or manage it so that it, yeah. it doesn't, and, and that's a problem. Um, I mean, you, yeah. I think you're right. I mean, if you look at, um, um, a little bit different, but look at the, the baseball steroid scandals over the years. You know, most of the players that came out and simply said, yep, this is what was going on, I fell victim to it, I used them, and I stopped. There continued. Look at, Ann, you know, Andy Pettit um, admitted it, and he's now back pitching. You know, it's a, the press isn't interested in, in it because it's not tawdry. You just did the act and you moved on. Whereas Roger Clemens, you know, just couldn't get a escape himself because he wouldn't admit it and then yes he was somewhat vindicated in the in the trial decision but permanently harmed his reputation so i think a lot of leaders in in different fields make their mistake by the way they handle the issue as opposed to the actual issue itself unless of course the person you're involved with you're generating a conflict of interest either because there's they're they're an interested party you know i think 
Petraeus had this issue because there were perceptions of uh, disclosure of confidential information, and and this uh, biographer had access that may have seemed inappropriate. So he was engaged in beyond the actual affair with the um, inappropriateness of a CIA director violating perhaps security standards. Yeah, the CIA is really a special kind of case in and of itself. I agree with you. I mean, head of the CIA, head of the most powerful what spy organization in the world. That's a whole, I think anyway, is a whole different thing. Um, different right. than, say, the CEO of Boeing or whatever other companies. Um, yeah, I agree with you. So that made it a different kind of a, a situation. But um, just generally speaking, as I said, you know, if the company is running well and it's doing well, that's all I care about. And if there's a brilliant man who's president of the United States and he's handling that well, I don't really care who he or she sleeps with. Um, that's between him and his partner, and uh, they have to decide what they're going to, to me, do about it. Um, I mean, yeah. Tiger Woods is another example. I don't. I mean, his relationships with all these women—that's between him and his wife. I mean, I want to watch him play golf. The, the, the difference, though, Catherine, is that um, there's an added challenge for a CEO of a large company, and, and it comes down to this. And this is where it starts to blur some of these lines. You're right. If you're an individual celebrity, a sports hero or something, um, you may, I, I agree with you. One of the problems that large organizations have is they're asking people to be um, to comply with their code of conduct and to comply with a whole myriad of rules and regulations that many of them don't agree with. Right? You could be an employee and you have a set of rules that you have to follow and you know that some of these rules are as... Um, are ineffective for you. For example, no, no different than whether or not you uh, you jaywalk. Right? We were talking about this a couple of days ago. Jaywalking is illegal, and yet most people make a decision to jaywalk. So similarly, inside an organization, there are many rules that the company is asking you to observe, even though you don't think that they're even applicable anymore or perhaps they make any logical sense. Now, if you're a CEO and you're violating some sense of trust, and it could even be the trust of marital fidelity, nothing to do with your work, but you violate that, that does have ramifications. It does have ramifications in terms of, hmm, is this person as trustworthy as I thought he was? He made a commitment. He made a marital vow. Now, again, you can argue about the, the, the privacy issue, but in our society, we, we may be hypocritical, but our society is such that we take our responsibility seriously, and marriage is still seen as being a serious commitment. And so you may not want to feel as if there's a logical connection, but it does impact people's judgment of you as a leader in terms of your willingness to stick to your vows, even if you are not happy about it. And so um, it does reflect on your judgment. But now, what about again, this? This one thing that bothers me, and I'm not sure that I'm clear about this, let's say you have the CEO of a company who's having an affair, and no one ever, and you're not supposed to do that. That goes against corporate values, both for the CEO and the employees. Nobody ever finds out about it, maybe until after that person is no longer CEO. The behavior is still the same. The behavior is that he has not lived up to his marital vows, that right. he is fooling everybody, even though nobody knew about it. So what I'm saying is, does that make him a then he can still lead if he hides it because he's doing the same thing. I mean, the, the behavior still reflects the same kind of cheating. It's right. just that nobody knows about it. Do, do you know what it, I mean? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And it's a, it's, a, it's a really tough issue. And 
boards of directors who are really the bosses of CEOs really struggle in terms of whether they want to ask these questions. There are some boards now that are taking the view of we need to know everything. If we're paying you seven figures, you no longer have the same right of privacy as you did when you were simply a middle manager. You want to be the CEO, then we're going to vet everything about you. We want to know about your private affairs. Um, and so there's some boards that are taking a very aggressive stance. We do not want to be embarrassed. Um, and so recently, the heir apparent at Lockheed Martin was, was let go because of an affair. Again, it was consensual, and it was not a, a tawdry scandal. But um, it found out that he was having an extramarital affair, and he was gone. Um, other boards will grapple with this issue as you articulated it, and they'll say, if it's not impacting the business, I don't want to know about it. Um, but then usually what happens is that if it goes on for a long time and the person's making a mess of their personal life, and then it reflects poorly on their perceptions of judgment, um, then it can come back to hurt them. And it's, I can't tell you whether it's empirically fair or not, but people want to know that their leaders are using good judgment. And um, that's a subjective decision, but it impacts their ability to lead because you've got to have trust. And trust means that, and this is also part of what drove David Petraeus to make the decision to resign, he knows that his agents are risking their lives out in the field, especially his field agents. And that certainly was the case when he was in the Army. And he knows that he needs to be able to have 100% trust in the people that work under him. And how people treat their spouses um, impacts their ability to feel as if you can trust them. Betrayal is a huge risk in the military, and there's a parallel inside business as well. Well, what about this scenario? What if your wife has been having an affair for 20 years? I mean, that's you're talking about the onus is on the CEO, how he's treating his spouse, or, you know, he is having an affair, and that looks like that he's somebody who can't be trusted, who, you know, is not living up to his marriage vows, but you don't know the other side of the story, do we? No, you're right. I mean, again, it goes back to um, to how the, the issue is um, is handled. And it's all about how the issue is handled. Again, it's this, it's this uh, balancing act of we recognize that everybody is human. We meaning the public, the court of public opinion. We as Americans look at the fact that we're willing to forgive if people engage in this conduct, I mean, to a certain degree. I mean, you know, it can't be a heinous crime. Um, but we look at how it's handled. And um, we want to make sure you're using good judgment. And it could be, you know, if you're taken for a fool... Um, you know, that may bleed into your ability to be a good leader or, or not. But um, uh, I don't know if, whether you're asking whether a CEO whose wife has been engaged in an affair has more cause for him to engage in an affair or whether people look at him askance for not doing anything about it. Um, but, you know, the part of the problem is that um, it is changing times and you have to be sensitive to that. Take, for example, Penn State. Um, you know, what's interesting about Penn State is if you look at the president, Graham Spanier, who resigned and now he's been indicted criminally for perjury, um, you could argue that, you know, this was uncomfortable and he wanted to just get the problem out of the way and he let Jerry Sandusky resign um, back in 99, um, kind of resign with uh, you know, like an honorable discharge. They didn't come out and, and tell him that he was fired for impropriety they kind of gave him a polite way out. At the time, they probably thought that was the right thing to do. Um, in hindsight, they're going to get um, 
excoriated for that because they didn't take a strong enough action at the time. And so um, it is, it's tough to be able to, um, you, you, really, you run the risk of not being ahead of the curve in terms of where social judgment is. Um, and you also, as a leader, run the risk of not being able to take advantage of that leadership position because in some ways you're expected to be at the forefront of some of these issues. Yeah, I mean, I mean that comparison it's, to me is kind of comparing apples and oranges because you're talking about pedophiles, which are you know preying on young cho- on kids, on which we're talking about adults, aren't we? You know, between two adults who are um, consenting adults in this kind of, in this situation of having an affair, which I think is very different than preying on children. Absolutely, um, and, yeah. and, and, right. I was just more thinking about the um, um, the idea of how quickly you react. I mean, Graham Spanier was three degrees away from it, and yet, um, you know, he didn't react strongly enough. Um, and part of the decision is, of course, you know, making sure that you are sensitive to what is societally deemed, you know, unacceptable behavior. I mean, even in the Petraeus issue, uh, General Allen came into the um, limelight for just a brief period of time because of these emails with this uh, woman, uh, Paula Kelly, in, the, in Florida, and he quickly came out and said, there's nothing going on here, and I am, you know, I'm not going to fall victim to tawdriness, and this is what happened, and I'm very comfortable with my role in this, and I'm, you know, I'm not playing this game. And somehow the press let him alone. You know, that was like a little blip for about a day or two, and then he went back to work. Yeah, that's true, and then that kind of went by the by. What about the difference between countries that have a different kind of moral framework? I was talking a little bit about this to my first guest, but it's sort of like, you know, in Europe, for instance, in, in, in Western Europe, they don't necessarily have the same feelings about <clears throat> having affairs as we do. Right. And mistresses well, and wives so are we... friends. And so yeah. um, is this just kind of an American puritanical way of viewing our leaders or how do CEOs of companies in, let's say, in, in Western Europe do? Because I don't think the public ascribes to the same set of moral, quote, values that we do. No, that's true, but it's interesting when you see as it impacts leaders how ultimately if it impacts their judgment, um, it'll come back to bite them. So you look at Berlusconi in Italy. So the public there is pretty um, tolerant of his sexual dalliances, but you know, it, it, at some point you, you become a, um, um, a bit of a laughing stock because you're seen as completely unable to effectively lead. The other thing that was very interested was interesting was the... Um, the uh, heir apparent to the premiership in France, uh, Strauss-Kahn, who was involved in that uh, incident with the housekeeper in New York and was accused of rape. You know, there's a lot of, um, a lot of, and he was forced to resign from the IMF because of that. In France, the initial response was, oh, these Americans are so puritanical. But, um, you know, as people started to parse through it, um, it's not a question of, there's a power issue there. And it's a power issue that also impacts the perceptions of leaders' ability to lead. Yeah, so well, then, that's true, and I agree with you. That's a little bit off from what we're, uh, to me anyway, we're talking about. That's not an affair. That's a different situation. I could right. go on and on. This is a great topic, but we have to say goodbye because <laughs> our time is up. But, um, David, um, your book, I'll mention that again, The Three Power Values, How Commitment, Integrity, and Transparency Clear the Roadblocks to Performance. Uh, that's David David uh, Gebler's new book. Great having you on the show this morning. Very obviously interesting topic, and uh, there's lots more to talk about when it comes to this. Great. Thank you, Catherine, very thank, much. Yeah, thank you. 
Uh, I'm Catherine Zox, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio, and you can listen to us every Wednesday, 10 to 11 Eastern. We archive the show at the end of the day. Have a great week, and we will see you next Wednesday. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.